Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It was episode 138. 138. Goodness me. Uh, I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Hello. I'm joined today by the one and only Eleanor Goodman, also from Metal Hammer. Hello, Elle. Hello, Mel. Uh, and I'm also joined, that was succinct, I like it, that was, I'm also joined by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hill, also of Metal Hammer and other things. How are you, Steve? Hi, mate. How are you? You all right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy. We've just come off uh, a brutalising deadline. Brutalising. Um, we've got a hell of an issue coming up for you in a couple of weeks' time, which we will talk about on a future podcast, of course. Um, but before all that, don't forget that there is an issue of Metal Hammer out right now, celebrating 50 years of the one and only Judas Priest. It is an awesome, awesome issue. Very proud of it. Got loads of other stuff in there, including Greg Pusciato, Mastodon, uh, Devil Driver, Perry Farrell, Sepultura, Ghost Main, Ramstein, all the good names you want to read about this month out right now in all the usual UK shops, uh, or you can order it straight to your door from tinyurl.com slash get hammer. Um, Right, that's the business out of the way. Uh, I gather that both of you watched the Fever 333 stream. Am I right in thinking that? Yes. yes. Both yep. nodding, that's good. Um, what did you think of it, L? Obviously, this is the second big stream they've done. I think they did the huge one in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement exploding earlier in the year. Um, what was this one all about? Was it a similarly politicised one or some of it different? Or yeah, well, they've always called their gigs demonstrations because they are politicised. Fever 333 are a politicised band. They um, write about issues particularly affecting um, the black community and um, they have a big thing where they are part of kind of a bigger organisation that um, want to get people together to promote activism and to be active in the community so there's like a whole thing around fever 333 and jason's thinking behind this is that it's essentially to launch their new ep wrong generation and wrong generation is being written um about um recent times and it was sort of motivated to do the original stream following the murder of george floyd and this ep is all about how um, you know, you're fucking with the wrong generation and that we can rise up and um, be activists and change the world. And so it's something that is his life's work, really. You know, with Let Live, he was doing some of that, but Fever 333 is kind of taking up to the next level and this is what he's passionate about. This is what he's living and these are the messages that he's hoping to get out to people. So the first stream they did very much felt like it was a reaction and you could kind of tell sort of the anger and the um, how impassioned the performance was, that it was a reaction to something. And this show felt like more of the same in terms of emotion, um, but a little more considered because obviously it was less of a kind of immediate reaction and more something that they'd been planning. And it was the same venue, it was, what it looked like to me, like this room where they have all these um, screens or projections. I'm not technical enough to know, sorry, everybody. But they have, um, yeah, like imagery and words projected all around them. So it's like they're just playing in like a box of screens. And um, it was good. I'd say, yeah, slightly different vibes to the first one, but Jason did what he usually does. He kind of delivered um, some speeches about what was happening, about the purpose of the event. It's one in a series from different time zones. And um, it was, yeah, it was just very kind of um, fiery, very angry, very impassioned, um, played some of the new material. And 
talked about um, the issues that are going on around at the moment. He's, he did a lot of speeches. I've kind of, he said things like um, the disenchantment of POC people did not come about by mysticism. Um, he talked about how he's got two sons and the last time they could tour in person, he had one son and now he's got two and how they kind of um, really had to think about whether they wanted to bring another life into the world as it is. And they decided that they were going to do it because they've still got hope. And that was probably the big message they were pushing. You know, the first one was a reaction to the murder of George Floyd and the state of the world. And this one is, is still a reaction to it. But they've also got this hope that people can kind of rise up and be activists and take matters into their own hands and um, make change. So, yeah, it was like super interesting. There was a really sweet bit where um, he told everyone to sing and obviously there's no audience there. And then he held the microphone out into the camera and then said, good job. So Did you sing? I did actually. I was by myself. <laughs> good work. I respect that. I was by myself and I did sing. So I got a little good job there from Jason. So that was Excellent. nice. Did you sing, Steve? I absolutely did not sing. Why would you not? I did not sing. Um, the, the just to pick up on El and El's um, points about Jason's speeches in between the songs, um, comfortably for me the most engaging part of that stream was when Jason when the band stopped playing and Jason started speaking, um, which kind of sums up all of the problems that I have with Fever Three 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 as a band. I don't doubt the sincerity of the message, and I don't doubt the message is a good one as well um musically i just think they're 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 not up to it um the ep's frankly dreadful that they just released i think it's really really bad and um i i think th these streams these kind of live streams that we've been experiencing for the last few however many months that we've been on lockdown they kind of highlight um why often live bands need to be seen live by people. I think Fever 333 are far better live than they are on record, far better, having seen them live a couple of times. Um, but this stream just kind of highlighted, I think, all of the flaws in the band, to be perfectly honest. I don't think they've got very good songs. I think that's a real problem. I think um, the, the message that they're trying to convey has kind of um, compromised the music that they're making somewhat. I think it's a real shame when you know the three people involved in that band have been involved in Let Live, who are probably one of the best bands of the last decade. Um, the Chariot, who again are an apps were an absolutely phenomenal band, and Night Versus, who are one of the most technically impressive bands um, that I've heard in the last decade as well. The combination of that should be something really, really musically exciting. Um, and I understand why they make kind of simplified music and particularly simplified compared to the music that they've made before. Um, I just think they need a kind of rethink as to the type of music they make, because I just, I just don't think it, I just, you know, seeing them without a crowd, you're kind of relying on you sat there on your own, helping the, the you know helping to create something approaching a live experience without that connection to people them actually being there um it's something that's i, I mean i saw similarly it's a weird comparison but i watched the no effects stream a few weeks ago and no effects are a band who i love 
Um, but their live stream, without actually being there, their kind of shtick just didn't work. Some bands can do it. Behemoth, the way they did it, the kind of, you know, or some of the bigger bands doing it, I think they can put money into it, which means they get away with, you know, because you could be stood at the back of an arena and still see a similar type of thing. Um, when they're sort of smaller bands who really, really rely on that engagement from the crowd, um, it just didn't quite work. And I think Fever 33, it just showed up all of their, um, all of their kind of frailties as a band, really. I, and I think it's a real shame because Jason is brilliant. He's an incredible, he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person and an amazing front man. He's got a great voice. He's got everything about him is brilliant. He's totally sincere. But I just think the vehicle of Fever 333 musically is nowhere near good enough to carry the message that they want to carry personally. And I was I, disappointed with it. I think the music is a bit patchy, but I do think they've got moments like on Wrong Generation. Wrong Generation is really good. Supremacy is good. And then... Yeah, I think Supremacy is cool. It reminds me a bit of um, other songs, but I think it's quite good. And I like some of the older songs. I like Made in America. Um, I like uh, Long Live the Innocent. I think it, like those songs are pretty catchy, which I always feel. I mean, I don't know what's going through his head, but I felt like Fever 333 was a way to kind of more catchily distill his message, whereas Let Live was a sort of more personal cathartic experience of his own experiences but I mean I'm not sure like to what extent that is true um but yeah I think sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work but the one thing that I was wondering when I was watching the stream was I don't understand why there aren't more than three of them because you can hear there's bass on some songs and you can hear there's like another guitar but they don't have those things in the room they don't have electronics in the room they just um play them off a tape or equivalent of a tape because Probably not a tape nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's always been a criticism of them live as well. And I do think they're good live because it's essentially just three blokes jumping around to a backing track, really. Um, and, I mean, if you're going to jump around to a backing track and that be your live stick, you better jump around a hell of a lot. And to be fair, they do. You know, I really do, yeah. yeah. Where they've gone absolutely crazy. And I'm not. You know, I, I think people get a bit snobby about how much of a live show is created live. I think these days, you know, if you go, if you go into kind of the hip hop and the pop world, like very, you know, very, very little is performed live. And I think that's probably where Fever 333 are getting a lot of their ideas from. And that's where they're getting a lot of their tricks from. I mean, to bring up a song like Supremacy, I mean, it's got absolutely nothing to do with anything that we will be talking about on the show today. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with the sort of thing that belongs in Metal Hammer, personally. Like, it's it's a full-blown pop song. If that was the first yeah, thing you heard, you'd heard, you wouldn't expect them to get in the NME, let alone, well, not the NME, the NME do cover pop music. But, you know, you wouldn't expect them to get anywhere near Metal Hammer. And that's fine, because like you say they're trying to convey their message to as far and wide a group yeah. of people as possible. But I do think those three people as musicians are better than, than what they've, than what we've been served up by Fever 333. I thought the first EP was promising and I actually feel like they've regressed on that promise since then. Um, again, I don't doubt the message and I don't doubt the sincerity of it. I just think the vehicle needs to be, needs to be better really. I agree with you. I liked 
when they came out, I was like, oh, this could be quite good. And there's nothing that I really go back to and kind of revisit. I think the message mm -hmm. is important, but and I can see why they've got this delivery for it. But I would have to agree with you. But yeah, you can't fault um, the intentions. You can't fault the energy they had in the live stream. You can't fault the monologues is doing and this kind of wish to whip everyone up into a community for change. I can't fault any of that. But yeah, I mean, I did prefer Let Live. So. I think that's the frustrating thing is that, like, I just feel like they're, they swamp their music with so much extraneous, unnecessary bluster and noise. And yet, when you were, if you were to strip it away, there's not really anything there. And then when you hear Jason speak, and when you, you see the, the way Jason performs, you're like, well, you are, you know, you're an, you're, you're an amazing frontman, an amazing figurehead, a hugely intelligent, articulate, passionate person. Um, you know, the Rage Against the Machine comparisons that come up with them all the time are, you know, a little, I think, are kind of lazy, really. But at the same time, if you are comparing them to someone like Rage Against the Machine, Rage Against the Machine were master craftsmen at crafting these incredible songs that had, you know, they're, they're a big, massive, obvious, chantable slogans in Rage Against the Machine songs. But all the kind of, and that's something that sticks with people, but then... The songs are brilliant. The riffs are brilliant. The the the, the lyrics that and the 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 touchstone, the little points of reference that Zach brings in in the verses are amazing, and they keep you as a listener interested. The sincerity of what Fever Three 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 are trying to achieve, I think, is great, and that's why I find them such a frustrating band because I don't think they've got even they've not even got close to delivering anything near musically anything as important as the message that they're trying to convey. And the only reason, if I, it sounds like I'm giving them shit or giving them a hard time, it's because I love the other stuff that, they, that they, those three men have done as a band. And I want Fever 333 to be as good as that. And I want them to feel like an integral, important band. But at the moment, I just, I just don't think they are. I just don't think they are at all. One more thing before we close this discussion up. There was something on Twitter Jason's posted, or uh, well, the band have posted, saying 333 times LP. And there's a graphic, the hybrid theory graphic with Fever 333 on it. So there's something coming related to hybrid theory, which I'm excited about. I hope I'm it's sure, good. sure Steve is especially excited about that. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to talk about hybrid theory in a bit. I, I think yeah. the, the thing about spreading their message is interesting because... You know, I quite like Fever 333. We had them on the cover this year. I think Jason's a brilliant um, just human being, really, as you guys said. I mean, what? well, the one thing I will say is that Fever 333 are unquestionably bigger now than any of those previous bands ever were. And so even though I agree, I feel like musically, they've not really put out anything that's felt truly kind of mind-blowing, like especially some of that Let Live stuff did. But... At the very least, Jason has managed to find a vehicle that is spreading his message to a bigger audience than he was spreading it to before. So from that point of view, it is kind of working. But for the potential that's in that band, I agree. I'd definitely like to to see more. Um, and I guess they're yet to do a proper album yet. So maybe yeah, that'll be... Strength in Numbers came out last year. That was a full-length debut, wasn't it? Oh, was that a full-length? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just two whole tracks bigger than the EP. Mm. Um, so yeah that counts fair Ooh, enough yeah. uh there's been a ton of stuff going on this week let's get stuck into some of that shall we uh crowbar have launched a uh, crowdfunder 
Uh, I'm, of course, talking about the awesome and already much missed legendary metal bar that used to live in the heart of Soho in London. Uh, they announced recently that they've had to close down for good, or at least certainly in that location. But they have launched a crowdfunder to try and kick off uh, some funding for Crowbar 2.0 for the new venue that will ho hopefully open somewhere down the line. So if you fancy having a look at that and getting stuck into it, head over to metalhammer.com for more info on that. Um, this is a weird one. And I've got to admit, I hadn't really, this whole fallout and hoo-ha kind of flew under my radar a bit. But um, Alexi Leho, he of Children of Bodom fame, has a brand new band. Uh, he's hooked up with a uh, fellow former of Children, Bodom, Children of Bodom guitarist, Daniel Freyberg. And the two have created a brand new band called Bodom After Midnight. They played their debut gig in Finland earlier this week, featuring a ton of Children of Bodom covers. Um, I had a look at this on video as well. It looked like a proper gig for all intents and purposes, which gave me some nostalgic sad pangs for, for an actual life. Um, but yeah, so the reason this has happened, uh, and as I said, I wasn't fully really plugged into this whole situation, but Children of Bottom Trio, the, the other members of the band, uh, Henry Sapala, uh, Jana Werman and Jaska Ratikainen all quit Children of Bottom last year. But those three retained their legal rights, the Children of Bottom name, um, which meant that Alexi Leho could actually no longer use the Children of Bottom name without express authorization because he sold his share in the band. So now Alexi has had to start a different band that's basically a Children of Bottom tribute band called Bottom After Midnight. I don't understand how this has happened. I don't understand how, of all people, Alexi Leho has somehow been blocked out of children and bottom it just seems impossible to me i don't get it that's like the new power generation kicking prince out of prince <laughs> <laughs> you can't call yourself prince anymore you have to do a prince tribute act even though you are prince surely alexi leho is children of bottom like, i don't know any of the other members at all not that i'm a massive fan but i don't i don't get it i mean there's there's some other original members in there um but yeah well, i don't know one original member guitarist Oh, well, there you go then. The other uh, members aren't in it. No, I mean that um, there were still original, both like original, original Bonham members in the, the band that kind of broke uh, apart. So that's probably why someone else has naming rights. But I just don't get it. Like, like Steve said, it just, it's like Prince being kicked out of Prince, or it's like, it's Alexi was children of boat, but I mean, you know, obviously he wasn't literally, but to everybody who knew anything about that band over the last 20 years, like he was children of Bowden. So I just don't, I There's don't get how some kind of falling out, like Fear Factory style falling out. It's all that's a similar, you know, I'm I'm just gonna say similar thing, but I don't know the ins and outs of either enough to comment. But the fact that some people have the name and the singer of the band doesn't have the name or has let I don't know it's all a bit confusing all around I'm just going to shut up now <laughs> all a bit weird but if you, if you wanna... it's sad when bands fracture like that and then they can't use the name or be the band they once were yeah it's a shame but um you can see the 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 bottom after midnight thing in action over on the metal home website now so go have a look at that if you're interested uh, in other news you lot I'm talking about you people listening right now and readers of metal Hammer magazine and uh, the website voted Sonna as the greatest Ramstein song ever. We've got the 20 greatest ever Ramstein songs in the current issue of Metal Hammer. You can see what else made that list. Uh, it was voted for by the wonderful general public and followers of Metal Hammer. 
And uh, they voted for Sonna as the greatest Ramstein song ever. Are we happy with that? It's a bit the of a correct solid decision, I would say. What'd you say? The correct decision. Elle's backing it. Uh, well, it's a, it's a good song, isn't it? It's a very, very good song. Is it the be- You've chucked me on the spot here. Is it the best Ramstein song? They've got a lot of good songs, that band. They've got a lot, of, a lot, a lot of good songs. It's always been my favourite song, personally. I mean, I love the whole of the last record, so if I was going to... It's that thing, isn't it, of like, which one is your gut favourite and which one do you objectively think is the best Ramstein song? And my gut favourite is Sonna. If I was to sit back and analyse them all, maybe I'd come up with a different objective, better one, but that's the thing. I think the... Um, I mean, Sonna was obviously a huge song for them, and I think kind of consolidated them as one of the biggest bands in metal like the snow white video and all of that was just on endless rotation back in the day um and i kind of feel like that last tour kind of really established it as their calling card because it was sonna that kind of just had the insane amount of pyro at the end like on the the back columns and all over the stage it was just the most pyro i've ever seen came out for sonna so it definitely feels like their kind of hallmark anthem um my personal favorite is spieler which i don't think even made the list so sad times for me did, P- did Pupper make the list from the last album because that's a that's a mental song isn't it um because that song's amazing yeah i like that i honestly can't remember i think there were at least one or two of them of the last album. yeah um but as i say you can hear the full list in the latest issue of metal hammer that's out right now uh, in yet more weird nostalgia news that makes us all as old as time, uh, we talked about Chocolate Starfish by Limp Biscuit turning 20 last week. And uh, uh, as I said um, on that podcast, a week after Chocolate Starfish came out, uh, a band called Linkin Park released an album called Hybrid Theory onto the world. And it is no exaggeration to say that nothing was ever the same again. Uh, the album's turned 20 t- uh, on Saturday. This Saturday just gone by. Um, I think, does it remain the biggest selling debut album of the 21st century? I think it did, didn't it? Certainly was for a while. Certainly. Uh, I'm not sure about, you know, other genres. Yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm obviously on Wikipedia because of my top level professional research. Um, But yeah, it was the best. I mean, at the time, it was the best selling debut album since Appetite for Destruction and and the best selling rock album of the 21st century. Impossibly huge. Uh, completely changed the kind of fabric of rock music itself. Um, I think it was, I don't know if a slow burn is quite the right, quite the right um, terminology. It sold 50,000 copies in its, in its first week and debuted at number 16 on the US Billboard 200. When you compare that to Limp Bizkit, which went straight into number one everywhere and sold like a million in week one, Linkin Park was a little bit behind. But I think once all those singles started rolling out, um, I can't remember the exact order of what came when, but obviously I had Paper Cut, One Step Closer, Points of Authority, Crawling in the end. Uh, it just picked up so much momentum and just ended up shifting unimaginable numbers, unimaginable numbers, uh, 12 times platinum in America, uh, 27 million copies worldwide. I mean, I don't know if any rock band outside of, well, I don't even know if any rock band ever can sell those kind of physical numbers now, to be honest, just absolutely unheard of. Um I kind of know what we're all going to say to this, but I think it can make for an interesting conversation. What What do we think about hybrid theory? I mean, the short answer is Ellen, I love it. Steve does not love it. But I suppose the more interesting conversation is what this album did for the fabric of rock music itself, because 
for better or worse, it felt like this album drew a line in the sand and everyone had to kind of decide what side of it they stood on. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, it would be disingenuous of me to say that Hybrid Theory is a bad album. I actually had a little listen to it before um, because I knew we were doing this. So I had a little listen to it before we started recording. And even though I hate it, um, it's not a bad album. I mean, it's definitely not a, a terrible record, particularly when you consider some of the stuff that it's inspired, um, which is genuinely bad. Um, but I think my my prob- my big problem with Hybrid Theory and Linkin Park in general um, is just kind of what you said, Mo, is that I think it, it drew a line. A line in the sand is a really great sort of... Uh, way to put it i i think people who liked metal and maybe weren't so keen on the success that new metal was having because let's not forget for all the success of lincoln park you know corn and limp biscuit and manson and raging machine and all those bad death tones and all those bands that we mention all the time from from that era were having huge 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 success and even without hybrid theory those bands had already achieved significantly large amounts of success and i think people from the sort of the traditional metal backgrounds could probably look at a band like corn and go i don't really like hip-hop i don't really get the way they're dressing i don't really care for this type of thing particularly but it still feels honest enough and relatable enough for me to go okay well i'll kind of accept it I think Limp Biscuit stretched that as far as it could possibly be stretched. I think Linkin Park pushed it to a point where people went, it brought a lot of people in who went, oh, so this is what metal is, right? This is what metal is. And I don't think it's really a sort of true representation of heavy metal, really. Um, And I do think that people who didn't like it, and I'll include myself in that, just went, well, do you know what? You've gone too far, fuck it. And then the scene has re- just, that's the point where the scene retreated back to denim and leather and the old school idea of what heavy metal was meant to be. And I don't really know how those two things reconcile themselves. And the point we have now in the metal scene where, you know, maybe in, in, a, in a different type of universe, we should be, we could be celebrating the, the uniqueness and the diversity of all of those things but actually what we have is kind of two kind of weird warring factions who don't really like each other who don't really understand each other and it just means that new bands are instantly kind of ignored bands who are sort of um more traditional sounding are dismissed for being old or retro or whatever and, and i don't really think that the scene has been united in the same way since hybrid theory. And when you look at where heavy metal is in 2020, it's kind of a direct result of years and years and years and years of that happening that we're just not really relevant in the mainstream anymore. And I, I think that's a real shame. And like I say, when you look at the stuff that gets big, that is definitely directly influenced by Linkin Park and hybrid theory. So much of it, so, so much of it to me comes across as just a desperate cash grab. And I wouldn't 
strictly say that Linkin Park and hybrid theory is a desperate cash grab, but it's certainly, they were jumping on a bandwagon that had already been rolling, pardon the pun, um, into, in, it, it was, it was, a commercial it's a commercially minded record i think and i don't think you can say that about corn and deftones and manson i don't think those things happened because that was the cool thing that was happening that was the popular thing to happen at the time i think lincoln park jumped on it and thought how can we make this already popular thing even more popular um yeah wow fair po- fair points some interesting points there for sure what do you what do you reckon to all that l and obviously you and i kind of came in through that generation so we were obviously on one side it's undeniable that Lincoln Park brought people into metal because the editor and deputy editor of Metal Hammer <laughs> kind of came in through albums like that but um what do you think about what Steve Steve's saying about that line in the sand that got drawn and is that is there you know the reason that album was made in the first place and I guess it's legacy of creating heavy music because it's a cool thing to do i don't know it's really hard because you made so many different points there i think i can see what you're saying about how it's divided people and the division still exists like if you were a fan in the 80s of like iron maiden and they're probably not a good band to pick actually because there's plenty of contemporary iron maiden fans but yeah if you like sort of denim and leather metal in the 80s and into the 90s and then in the millennium you get like a bunch of kids writing pop songs to your ears it's not going to go down well and you do see now with um some metal bands particularly older ones that they kind of that is metal like the old school metal is metal and everything that came after isn't and then you have this generation of people like me and merlin where we hadn't really heard metal before and bands like Linkin Park and then obviously the other ones around them like Korn and so on all kind of brought us in so but yeah but Hybrid Theory was really sort of that big record that just dominated everything like dominated the radio like the amount of countries that it charted in and the amount of copies that it sold such a behemoth of a record it's so huge um and you you kind of mentioned bands that have been influenced, I think, in a negative way. You kind of mentioned there have been a lot of like shit bands that have been influenced by Linkin Park. But there's also been some really good bands that have been influenced by Linkin Park. And we're going to talk about Bringing Me Horizon soon, which are kind of <laughs> divisive subjects in themselves. But in their new EP, you can really feel the love for the early 2000s stuff and for the fact that they essentially came from Linkin Park and hybrid theory. Um, so you can't deny its influence and what that's brought to people and the amount of music that is here because of them. So, and also I think with you saying about it being cynical, obviously I'm not Linkin Park, so I can't comment on this and what it was actually like, but from the way they talk about it, they'd been a band for a long time. Mike Shinoda had started it at high school and they'd been like working on their sound for a really long time. And then when Chester came in, that was the vocalist they needed to kind of bring it all together. And yeah, I mean, bands, obviously, you know, there probably was an inkling of we want to be successful because they obviously wanted the record deal. They wanted all the rest of it, but it was quite a slow burn and like a lot of work for them that went into this record. So it's not like, you know, 
a band assembled by some kind of music Svengali who just crapped out a record. It was a lot longer of a journey than that. So I think it's a bit dismissive to say it was kind of a commercial oh, cash grab. You could say that about Take That. It was a hard road for Take That, and they weren't formed by a music Svengali either. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't. Yeah, they were actually. I think they had auditions for Take That where they actually selected It started with Gary Barlow and the songs that he was writing, and they got other people in to, to join on to that. So, and that's not like I, I, I don't mind that. That's not really, you know, that I'm absolutely fine with, you know, I like Baby Metal were put together by other people i don't think that oh, made... baby metal to lincoln park sorry i'm not going to give you that well no, i'm not i'm not comparing them i'm just saying i have no problem with manufactured bands full stop like i don't care how a band got together that's not really a problem i have i think bring bringing up bring me the horizon is a really really good example of doing that because bring me the horizon have essentially got big by leaving metal behind and were they maybe treated a little bit nicer by metal fans in the beginning who are now suddenly reading, oh, I liked Bring Me when they were heavy. I like them. Why have they sold out? Well, no, you didn't because everyone treated them like shit and said they were pop kids and blah, blah. Like, for what it's worth, I think both attitudes of the extreme, like, uh, like I know people who own hybrid theory that would will scoff and laugh at, you know, mega death. You know, even, no, I'm not even talking about really, really super underground death metal bands. I'm talking about big metal bands they think are stupid and rubbish and uh, look at stupid metal bands. But yet they, they like Linkin Park. And it's that whole thing of, you know, there's that famous quote from Dave Grohl. And he said, when Nirvana started getting big, he saw people turning up to Nirvana shows that used to beat him up for listening to that music when he was a kid. And so I, I don't think, I think that's a pretty reprehensible attitude. I also think it's a pretty reprehensible attitude to go, right, that's it. No more evolution, no more new stuff, denim and leather. That's what it is now. And, and like, whilst I kind of understand the, um, the sense of uh, suspicion surrounding Linkin Park at that time, I think what it's led to is people just being like, right, I'm completely closing myself off from anything new that metal does at all now, because unfortunately the end game might be hybrid theory. And that's the last thing we want. Is it, a, was it cynical? I mean, I think it's far more cynical than, than Korn or, you know, with the bands I mentioned who kind of built that stuff up, Korn, Manson. I don't think, I think you look at Linkin Park and they look like, <laughs> Linkin Park and hybrid theory look like lots of other bands that are around at that time. And nobody looked like that five years previously who were selling lots and lots of records. They were all wearing the Britpop gear or, you know, uh, fucking played and grunge was, was the thing. And Manson and White Zombie and Type of Negative Bands came through that and became popular because that's just how they dressed. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it is just how Linkin Park dressed, but it's still, there's no getting away from the fact that that had been, an, that was then an established style and an obvious way to sell lots and lots of records. Doesn't make it a bad record, but it's something that people could look at and go, well, it's not as dangerous as corn. It's not as sweary as Limp Biscuit. It's not as, you know, gothy and satanic as Marilyn Manson. It's not got any swearing in it. We can sell loads of these. That's not a necessarily strictly a bad thing. It's not really the band's fault, but it's just, that's, that's the result of it. Um, I think that's, and also, just really quickly, my last point would be to sort of prove them. Like when Nirvana were told that they were these sort of punk 
corporate sellouts or whatever after Nevermind, they went and made In Utero and made the nastiest, most horrible sounding record they could possibly make. Linkin Park just slowly, uh, surely over time, integrated more and more commercial sounding elements into their music. So I think they ever set out saying like, oh, we're an extreme metal band. Do you know what I mean? And I think the fashion thing, like I do take a point, but at the same time, I don't even, at the time when I got into them, I wouldn't have even noticed what they were wearing because the whole new metal fashion thing was just kind of, everyone just kind of wears jeans and t-shirts and like, yeah, maybe they're baggy and there's chains and whatever. But it just kind of felt like that was what was around at the time. It didn't feel like, oh, they've dressed them like this. Like I used to be really into Boyzone. It's like they would dress them in like matching outfits and then Westlife came along and they would have matching outfits and stools. It's like it never really felt like that for me with any bands that were from the alternative scene because it's just like, well, that's kind of what people look like. I mean, that that just wouldn't have crossed my mind when I was that age. I'm not saying you're not right, just that if you're in it, like you're just, oh, they're just another band. You know, it doesn't really seem as calculated as like boy band stuff did when I was younger. I mean, it's probably a, a little of all these things, to be honest. I think, I mean, it's 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 known that, you know, Lincoln Park was started by Shinoda and a couple of the other guys, and they're uh, quite a bit younger. Um, I think, you know, they, they didn't, they did, like Elle said, it was a bit of a journey. They did struggle to get signed. I wouldn't say that was quite the same thing as something like Take That, which again, yeah, Gary Barlow was a singer-songwriter, but he did kind of get assumed into a manager looking to put a band together. I mean, it probably is quite likely that once new metal started to take off, especially by like, you know, by the late nineties, corn and biscuit and to probably a slightly lesser extent in that stage, Deftones were, were selling like big numbers. So like this thing was kicking off slipknot had come in, all this stuff was booting off. So it probably is true that there were label execs, A and R people out there looking for these kind of bands to snap up and, mm when they saw something like Lincoln Park, they probably did see dollar signs flashing and all of that. But it did take a while for Lincoln Park to actually get signed. And I think when you really think about the really bad new metal also rounds, all those one hit wonders, all the bands that kind of dress in that style that we're talking about, that kind of became the zeitgeist at the time. Most of them came out after hybrid theory. I think, I don't really think you'd have all these bands popping up everywhere. Lincoln Park was one of them. Lincoln Park got big, like bands like Edema and that, P.O.D., all those guys. Uh, P.O.D. probably came a bit earlier, actually. Yeah, I, I, think I, I don't think that's true. I think there's, there's... I mean, I could go through fucking Ultra Spank and Kilgore and fucking Spine Shank and all that shit. They were, they were around from about late 98. That it what was, was the first one you said? Ultra Spank? Ultra Spank, yeah. I've never heard of them or Kilgore. I've only heard of Spine Shank. Ultra Spank's album I got on um, import. Because I got any of the stuff because they were made like Orgy Candy Ass by Orgy came out. Like there were just fucking loads of those. Yeah, but Orgy was different. Orgy had an industrial tinge to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it was yeah, yeah it's true. Oh. Fair. But again, it's it's all kind of a little column A and a little from column B because after Lincoln Park came out, those kind of one hit one the new metal bands took off. I mean, um think tracks like fucking The Way You Like It by Edema and like Il Nino and Drowning Pool, all those bands, they wouldn't have got as big Soil. as Park. Who? Soil. Soil, yeah. Although I kind of feel like Soil were kind of slightly off on a weird tangent in a weird way, but... The Thinking Man's new metal band. <laughs> the Thinking Man's, yeah, they were. It's like they, were, it's like they weren't a new metal band, but they were in the new metal world. But um, 
yeah, I think I think Lincoln Park kind of accelerated that. And yeah, you're right, Steve. The kind of Boulder was already going down the hill, but I kind of feel like Lincoln Park like got got behind it in a uh, race car and pushed it down. I can't think of a very good analogy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but it's it's fascinating to think what would have happened if they'd stayed further in the metal side of things rather than the the other side of things. But the thing is, is like even never mind by Nirvana is more kind of dark and abrasive and kind of alternative at its core than I think hybrid theory is. Like you said, hybrid theory was never dark. It wasn't that aggressive. It wasn't that abrasive. It wasn't that scary. So for them, it's not like Lincoln Park would ever have gone away and come back with like a, with an Iowa or something. Do you know what I mean? I just don't yeah. think that was in their arsenal. About like Papa Roach as well. Like they had a couple of records that were just like pure, like new metal scene ones. And then they went off and just kind of did that sort of more rock and roll, big shiny rock thing because they already had that in them and you have to change when the scene is changing, when things are moving on, you can't just do the same thing because you're just going to look really old. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, Nick and Park would, if Nick and Park had just stayed in baggy jeans and chains, it would definitely not be um, where they ended up. But I mean, for me, musically, like wherever you think of the impact this album has, I agree that I think for me personally, there aren't a ton of bands I'm absolutely head over heels in love with. Um, right now that are clearly influenced by Linkin Park. Although I do think even simple things like the approach they took to production on that album is really important because I think it changed the way a lot of metal bands could start thinking about production. I don't know if you'd have bands like, I'm not saying they sound similar whatsoever, of course, but I'm not, I don't know if you would have bands like Code Orange taking a completely different approach to the way you can produce a, a heavy metal record or an industrial record or whatever you want to call it. If you didn't have bands like Linkin Park just... Um, creating an album that is 20 years old but still sounds like it could have been recorded last week I think they I think that was really important um, and again just song for song like it's just ridiculous it's one of those you get those albums every so often like Permission to Land by the Darkness is another one I always think about where you just look at the track list and it feels like a greatest hit set like it's just absurd the hit rate of this album um, and I think the testament to just how big it is is that when they played it live at download in full, obviously paper cut one step closer, et cetera, et cetera, was huge. But actually the bits I really remember are tracks like with you and a place in my head, because those all started playing and you realize, you know, every word to those songs as well. And you look around and everyone knows every word to those songs as well. It's just 35 minutes or whatever it is, maybe even less than that. Just under, just under 38 minutes of just fucking, musical perfection and i just think it still sounds absolutely colossal but i do agree its legacy in terms of where metal is at now is perhaps divisive to say the least nobody mixed melody with heaviness like they did absolutely nobody like literally they were the ones that came and just did it and went here's an album every song on it is a single effectively yeah definitely um paper cut's pretty good it's my favorite it is. I mean, yeah, what a start as well. That fucking, that opening. Do, 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 like, oh, amazing, amazing album. Any final thoughts on Hybrid Theory before we move on? I just think it's such a great record. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. Like, I just still love it. Like, when it came out, I was, I had a bit of awareness that, like I said, last week, I think when we were talking about it, that 
it was a little bit teenage angsty and I was a teenager and I was a bit like, mm, I'm kind of feeling a bit of a cliche leaning into this, but the songs were so good and I enjoyed the record so much. That I would literally just put it on repeat. I just listened to it over and over again. And it's probably one of the few records where I do know every word because not only did I listen to it a million times, it was so poppy that, you know, the lyrics were meant to apply to the every man or the every woman and you could just recite them off by heart. And I just think you wouldn't have... There's probably loads of records and bands you don't even realise have been influenced by hybrid theory because just that mix, like I said, the melody and the heaviness they brought in was so... felt so new and fresh and exciting. Fair. Fair. Yeah, it is, it is, a, it is a, an astonishingly good album. I, I sometimes see some debate where people kind of come in and try and say, oh, Meteora was the superior Linkin Park album. And I'm like, you're fucking mad. You are mad. It's got some good songs on, but you are mad if you think it's that. It's got some really good songs on. And I think if you could divorce yourself from the time period, you could maybe say that. Because the people that I've seen saying that are people in their early 20s. So they were really, really young when Hybrid Theory and Meteora came out. I think if you didn't have the cultural context and kind of the joy of hearing hybrid theory for the first time and it being a new thing, maybe, maybe you could latch onto Meteora more. But for me, it's hybrid theory 100%. All day long. Right. Well, a nice little uh, segue. Oh, actually, just got some breaking news uh, in my oh. in my email box. We've just had a new download festival announcement that is coming uh, tomorrow, as we know it, but it'll be today. It'll be out there by the time you listen to this podcast. Who wants to hear some new download bands? Oh, yeah, go on. Go on, then. Uh, there's a full list of names here. Um, I think this is in alphabetical order. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this list quite slowly in case I have to cut any out because I'm supposed to the announcements change late. So bear with me. Uh, but yeah, in theory, announced for tomorrow are Aaron Jones, Boston Manor, Dead Poet Society, Descendants, Ooh. Fire from the Gods. So yeah, Descendants. I kind of glazed over that. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, Fire from the Gods, Massive Wagons, Megadeth. Come on. I don't even know where Megadeth will go on that lineup. That's interesting. Uh, Monster Truck, North Lane, Renounced, Salem, Static Dress, The Ingester, The Scrats, The Skints, Uncured, and last but definitely not least, Venom Prison. Interesting little mix there. Interesting little Don't mix. Pain. Uh, that was a big old uh, anti-climax after that build-up when it's like loads of bands I've never heard of before. Venom Prison and the Descendants. Cool. North, Sorry, Lane. Mate. North Lane, North Lane, North Lane, North Lane. Well, North I wasn't going to go. Bands who are influenced by Linkin Park who aren't very good. <laughs> well, I'm not. it's not going to be like, <laughs> just, added, just added to download, uh, ACDC. Uh, <laughs> That's song rock north lane rock oh rot yeah yeah yeah. they've had another record since then yeah they've got their song fuck's sake <laughs> that's enough for me one small <laughs> I think we managed to all talk over each other for about 30 seconds straight then. <laughs> anyway, the short news is Steve's excited about Descendants. Elle's excited about uh, North Lane. And I'm excited about Megadeth and Venom Prison. I'm fascinated to see where Megadeth will squeeze onto that lineup. 
anyway, let's move on. We just talked about hybrid theory. Now, as, uh, as Al mentions, we're going to do album of the week this week. It's a very, very, very busy week for new music. There's a new Mr. Bungle album out, a new Pussifer album out, a new Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou album out. Uh, we can talk about those a little bit in a second. But first of all, we're going to dig into the, uh, I guess it's almost like a surprise new EP from Bring Me The Horizon, only announced uh, a couple of weeks back. It's called Survival Horror. It's out on Friday. Uh, and they are, of course, one of the most significant bands who have been clearly influenced by Linkin Park. And um, as Steve kind of alluded to, probably a good uh, reference point for another band that started very much in the metal scene and then kind of gravitated away from it as increasingly fast as they could as the albums went on. Um, Ammo was a really interesting record for them. They uh, obviously brought in even more electronic elements than before. Felt very, very polished, very poppy. Um, I think we all agree, though, it was, a, it was a really good album, just something quite different for them. Uh, what do we think of this EP, then? Something of a stopgap for them. Well, did you listen to the EP? that they, They've released another EP in between Ammo and this, that really, really long-named one with loads of, like, electro... So my Ollie yeah. talks for ages and things on it. Yeah, I mean that was an absolute. That's comfortably the worst thing they've ever done. Like, yeah, I, ironically, um, when we talked about Ammo when it came out, I went, "Oh, I'd really like to hear what it'd be like if they just let Jordan Fish go mental and do like a full dance album." And then they did, and I was like, oh, "Sorry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is really really bad. I like. I mean, I thought Ammo when it was good, it was fucking excellent and when it was bad it was a bit of a disaster and um and that's a shame because there was a little period where bring me were super exciting i think like sempaternal obviously being the well it's not even the commercial peak really but i guess it being relevant to us and still then feeling like a, a rock band a metal band I mean, it's just a, a great record and i feel like they've lost their way a little bit since then um, which seems weird to say when they're getting nominated for best band at the Brits and they're, you know, selling out arenas and headlining festivals and stuff. It seems a bit weird to go, oh, they've lost their way. But musically, I'm less invested in Bring Me The Horizon than I would have been at the start of the decade, I think. Um, so I'm glad that this is all right. Again, I think like most of this is pretty all right. I know it doesn't sound like a massive like, glowing thumbs up but it's probably a lot it's better than i expected it to be put it that way yeah i like it i like it i mean in terms of where they've gone um we were chatting briefly before the podcast started and i feel i feel a lot less invested in bringing the horizon than i did many years ago i've, I've mentioned the fact i gave sempaterno a banger of a review when it came out and it felt like it was a really exciting time for them in the rock scene obviously they gravitated away from the heavier end of the rock scene. And so I just feel like it's not, it, I mean, we barely even do them in the magazine anymore. So they're really not kind of at the center of our world now. Um, so when this came out, I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, I'll give it a listen. And then having listened to it, I, you know, kind of, there's a lot here to talk about, which I think does sound more relevant because there's definitely a lot here that is more kind of riffy and heavier and throws a little bit back to that Semple Turner, era. Um, although it definitely still has a lot of that ammo hangover with all the kind of electronic elements. I, I know what I mean when you say you, you think they've lost their way, but I do still think when I hear this, like, it just sounds so bring me the horizon. It's like, it's so zeitgeisty and it's so touching and all those, those core things they love to touch on now. 
like Ollie's lyrics are so Ollie Sykes and the music is so pristine, so polished, so carefully produced. It feels like every single, even though this is kind of coming across as something they kind of just put out there, every single like second of what Bring Me Do Now feels like it's been really carefully thought about and um, processed. Uh, but I agree. I think this is, I'd, I'd say it's a bit better than um, all right or, or decent. I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty damn good for the most part. Um, there's some huge moments on here. There's catchy songs of plenty. Obviously, Obey's super catchy. They released that already. Um, uh, Parasite Eve is again already sounds like a massive single that's gagging to get uh, live um, live airing. Uh, I thought Teardrops was really catchy as well. Um, I love that massive riff that comes in on Ludens. I thought that was a really cool uh, moment. It actually actually kind of was one of those moments where I kind of stopped what I was doing and just thought, oh, fuck, what's this? Um, they do really have a good capacity to do that. Um, and yeah, and then there's the the guest spots, which you can probably get into in a bit more depth in a second. But yeah, overall, I, I think this is good. I think it's a good stopgap for them. It nods to where they've been, but sounds kind of connected to where they're at on ammo. I dig it. I dig it. What do you think, Al? I obviously love it, which will come as a surprise to no one. I think it really, really does nod to Linkin Park and kind of acknowledge that debt almost and where they came from. Like, they've got an interlude on here called Itch for the Cure, which obviously is sort of their reference to Cure for the Itch, which is from Hybrid Theory. There's On Kingslayer featuring Baby Metal. Um, the way that it opens... Uh, oh, no, it wasn't not that... Yeah, on, on Kingslayer, sorry, they've got this lyric and Ollie just screams get the fuck up, wake the fuck up, which is pure slit wrist theory, which is 36 crazy fists. Like that's well new metal. And there's a bit on one of the songs that sounds really like with you from hybrid theory as well. Um, but then you kind of get the bits also that are referencing themselves. So it's like, they kind of came from Lincoln park and there's song like sleepwalking, which is very Lincoln park influenced. The song on here, one times one featuring Nova twins, the beginning of that sounds really like sleepwalking. So it's almost like they take the influences, kind of mash them up, spit them out. And then they're sort of influenced by themselves again. It kind of goes full circle, but I agree with you about the lyrics. They're so Ollie Sykes, like that first song, Dear Diary. He says, God is a shithead and we're his rejects. I was like, that is so him. It's just like someone Northern just like being shitty about something and just being like fed up, like, you know, in the same way that you talk about, was it Mardi Bum? Who was that by? I can't remember now. Arctic Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys, yeah. It's just really like Northern. It's just like God is a shithead and we're his rejects. It's just like, tell it how it is. Um, um, and I like the fact that he is angry on this, that it is survival horror, that it's about like the pandemic, that it's about the world and he's gotten heavier and angrier and he just does stuff like that first song, Dear Diary, he just does this mad laugh. I kind of just like the fact that he just doesn't really give a fuck and he just does stuff like that. It's, it's fun. It's angry, but it's like fun. And yeah, yeah I think I, I just really enjoy it. I think it takes the stuff that I liked about Sem Paternal and the stuff because I like the fact as well that bring me a really zeitgeisty I don't care mm. if it's kind of like cheap almost like if it's so obvious that it's just really obvious I just kind of like the fact that they put their finger on something um and Luden's actually um before we get into the guest appearances I just wanted to mention I do actually need to double check this but I think they've changed one of the lines on it because that originally came out last year 
And I think they changed the line that goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but soon the sting will pass. But names can dig so many graves, you won't know where to stand. I think they've changed that to sticks and stones may break my bones, but soon the sting will pass. But names will make me blow the brains out of all the kids in class. Because that lyric out. So I just I checked the lyrics and it looks like they've changed it from when they originally released it. Because I was like, that is, you know, that's a very kind of um, incendiary lyric, really. It's although again a very early Sykes lyric that kind of like sticks and stones like that kind of mixture of like you say like kind of Larry Northern bluntness mixed with this kind of romanticized poetic kind of little couplets and stuff like it, it, it's so recognizable now that you kind of and and again it's so zeitgeisty it's almost distracting at times like I think I said before. I didn't like the kind of Instagram reference on ammo. I just think that kind of, it's yeah. so kind of of the moment. It almost like, you, you, it almost becomes instantly dated when you do something like that, I think. And like, yeah. it's like about MySpace or something. It's a bit like, well, oh, it's on the gram. <laughs> yeah, it's on the gram. Um, but, but, but again, it's a great lyric. It's just kind of, it's so like on the point that you're just like, oh man, you've like, you've not been around the bush here. And th there's loads of that kind of lyricism on here. Again, mixed with all that kind of like, kind of more romanticized, poetic little verses he does and stuff. Um, let's talk about the the guest spots because I feel like Youngblood, Baby Metal and Nova Twins, again, so of the moment, right on the pulse of like what's big in alternative music at the moment. Like when I heard, when I heard that Bring Me were doing a song with Youngblood, I know that Obey's been out a while, but when I heard that was happening, it was kind of like, well, of course they are. Like, of course they're doing that. Like, what? It's the most believable thing in the world. Um, I actually thought it was quite interesting that they had Amy Lee on here as well, um, because that's. I felt that was something a little more of left field, and maybe throwing back to the kind of stuff they might have been listening to in the early two thousands. Um, yeah. And obviously, kind of just post hybrid theory generation of bands. Um, but yeah, I bet he's been out there a while. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a really great, shamelessly catchy song. You listen to it, it gets stuck in your head. I fucking love the baby metal track, like just baby metal drum and bass featuring Ollie Sykes, basically, and I'm all about it. Yeah, that that is that is a that isn't Bring Me Horizon featuring baby metal. That's baby metal featuring Ollie Sykes, isn't it? And I think this is something. I mean, if if I do have a bit of a criticism of this album, it is. The guest spots, particularly Amy Lee and Baby Metal, I think that's when you go, I don't really know what Bring Me The Horizon's real sort of identity is anymore because those, you know, when you bring somebody in to guest on your track, you would think the idea would be, like they did with Danny, and they did it successfully, I think, with Danny Phil on, on Ammo, you get somebody in and you kind of make them do their thing over your thing but it's still your thing whereas the baby metal song it's like well this is baby metal Do you know what <laughs> I mean? this isn't bring me the horizon this is baby metal this could be on the baby metal album but then ollie sykes does a kind of death growl at the, the end of it and you go well I, I don't really that's baby metal dominate that song to such an extent that you just go where's who are this band where where are this band and it i think it actually says quite a lot about how kind of idiosyncratic and how unique baby metal are 
as opposed to bring me the horizon. And it's sort of the same with Amy Lee as well. Amy Lee comes in and does the Amy Lee thing to such a standard that you kind of forget bring me the horizon is there. It's an actual ballad, that song. That was probably like the most surprising one in terms of it's not a Bring Me Song with Amy Lee on it. It is actually like Amy Lee just doing her like very bare stripped back vocals about relationships. With, and then towards the end, there are kind of some more electronics. It does feel a bit more like Bring Me and there's Ollie Scream and stuff as well. Mm. Um, I, I just I kind of think it's this thing that we just spoke about. It's literally just tapping into what they love and tapping into the zeitgeist. Like, you know, I mentioned all those new metal bands that they came upon and I think you know like Merlin said Amy Lee was around the same time it's kind of just bringing in something that you love and making it new and baby metal uh, you know are just kind of one of these bands that came out and did something a bit different and they you know baby metal and um, bring me have been pictured together before and it's just kind of let's put stuff together that we like and make something from it it doesn't really bother me that that those two songs sound well, you know, maybe the scales are tipped slightly more in the guests' favour than the host band's favour, shall we say. I think it still works because there's kind of a mutual appreciation and they kind of just still get mixed together. It doesn't really bother me that much. Well, I, I really, I mean, I think the Baby Metal song is actually really good. I just think it's, I don't know, it just sort of speaks to a wider point about Bring Me the Right, the current iteration of Bring Me the Right and sort of lack of identity. Um, I thought they had a really, for, there, was a, there was a period from kind of, I guess, from there is a hell up until that's a spirit where I thought, well, even if there's like, I, I really love there is a hell, I really don't like that spirit. But they were evolving and you could kind of see what their identity was. And I think since sort of Ammo, everything that's come out post Ammo, it's a bit of a kind of Spotify playlist hodgepodge of stuff. And now I, I just, I'm not really sure who Bring Me The Horizon are anymore. It doesn't make their doesn't mean their music is bad necessarily, but I don't know. I would quite like an album with a little bit of consistency that where they show their hand a bit more. Um, I know what you mean. I really get that point. I think it's more them trying to go. We want we can want to do what we like, and we like these things, so we'll put them together. But I get what you mean. Like, there's not really like a flow apart apart from the kind of like thematic thing of like 2020. It doesn't really flow in a particularly consistent way. The EP it's kind of all these songs are quite good. I really, I actually really love it. I think uh, there's so much that I love about all the different songs, but it kind of feels like some songs that have some similar things going on in a similar place, rather than a record that flows from beginning to end and like takes you on a journey. Mm. I, I mean, to give like a, a, a bit again a bit of a weird comparison, but if you think of a band like Faith No More who are very, very eclectic and very, very different from song to song to song, from album to album to album. We still always knew what Faith No More were. And I kind of, I just don't really know what Bring Me The Horizon are anymore. And I think that's something which, I don't know, we, we were talking at the start about just not really connecting with them anymore. And I, I wonder if that's got something to do with why we'd sort of not really feel as connected to them as maybe we would have done five or six years ago. But then yeah. we talked about like, sorry, Mel, I was just going to say when we did the corn special episode, we talked about um, following the leader. And if you look at that record and how many guest appearances are on that, like I'm not really trying to make a point specifically. I'm just trying to say like there's form for people doing this kind of thing. It doesn't mean then that you can't go back to something that is kind of consistent from the beginning to end. That album, 
Still really sounds like corn, though, follow the leader. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this album sounds like Bring Me To Me. Like, you could play me this with different vocals on it and just be like, this is a Bring Me album. Well, I was going to say that um, I understand, I definitely get Steve's point, and I think that Ammo kind of spread them quite thin in terms of what comes under the Bring Me, Bring Me The Horizon Sonic umbrella. But if you look at that New Architect song, for instance, the first thing we all thought was, oh, this sounds like Bring Me The Horizon in a lot of places. And I don't yeah. think we'd be able to say that if Bring Me didn't still have a very recognisable sound, because that sounds like now Bring Me, not Bring Me a few years ago. Um, but but I, the thing is, I do know what you definitely mean about that Babe Metal track, Steve, because when I first heard it, I actually thought, I wonder if they've actually got the Babe Metal band to write this as well, because the, the riffs are so reminiscent of the, what's the Babe Metal band called? Cammy band. I thought that too because it sounds quite mad capsule markets, and I'm pretty sure that one of the guys from there is one of the baby metal writers. Yeah, exactly. And it, so I, I don't know again if that's Bring Me have written a song to fit them so perfectly, or they've had more involvement from Baby Metal's band because it just fits them too perfectly. And yeah, I mean the the track with Amy Leon, I've got to say, I actually think that's a good song. Like for for what that is, a kind of smaltzy ballady track with some quite interesting electronic bits tucked in i think it's pretty good but it is very brave to basically put yourself in a track that is a vocal duet with one of the most recognizable and powerful female singers in rock music especially when with all due respect i think no one's pretending that ollie sykes is the best singer in rock i mean if he was they wouldn't kind of Voco this voice and 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 all the rest of it which which i think is almost comes out quite clearly on this track because you've got amy lee just being amy lee and sounding huge and warm and powerful and then you've got ollie's voice kind of going hey, 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 over it because it's doing all that kind of weird computerized shifting amount thing which is fine and i've got no issue with that because like tons of stuff i listen to has that kind of thing on it but when you're you're writing a track which is built around the vocal and you're sharing it with such a great vocalist. It's just quite a bold move by them. Um, but for what it's worth, I think that song's really good. So in, in that kind of sense of it, it works quite well. Um, we should probably give reference to some of the other stuff that's coming out uh, this Friday. That Emma Ruth Wonder and Thou album is out now. Uh, well, Friday, I should say, if you want something really deep and heavy and interesting. Um, the Zilanada EP that came out last week, if you haven't heard that yet, go listen to that because it is just so, so powerful and so dark and so emotional, which is just maybe one of the more underrated aspects of his music. Just so emotional um, an amazing EP. Um, I feel like you guys are well handled to talk about this. Should we talk about, um, give a shout out to the Mr. Bungle album, Steve? You were talking about bands that sound all over the place and that is one of them. Yeah, I mean, this is... Well, they on this, do they? They don't yeah. sound all over. They don't actually sound all over the place on this. No, well, I mean, this is probably the most uh, straightforward Mr. Bungle album ever. It's a re-recording of their 1986 demo, uh, "The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny." Um, it's Trevor Dunn, Mike Patton, Trey Spruance, the original members, with new guitarist and drummer Dave Lombardo from Slayer et al. on drums, and Anthrax Scott Ian on guitar. And it is what, um, you know, it's just re-recordings of old songs from when Mr. Bungle were first starting out. And they obviously listened to a lot of thrash metal back then. This is, a, it's a it's a thrash metal album. Um, 
it's a fucking brilliant thrash metal album. I mean, if the, if the idea of Dave Lombardo going full Dave Lombardo over Scott Ian's guitar tone with missed with Mike Patton screaming away, doing all of the Mike Patton vocal ticks over the top of it, playing sort of old school thrash doesn't excite you. Uh, I, I can't help you, buddy. I can't help you because it is, um, it's brilliant. I don't know if it sounds so youthful and exciting due to the fact that these are old songs or if it's because of the caliber of the people that are on these tracks. But yeah, man, this album's fucking ace. Really. It's really fun, isn't it? I thought it was just super fun. Just a really good fun record to listen to. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely a very different flavor to uh to that bring me EP. Um L, what we saying about this Pucifer album as well? Oh, yeah, I like it. It's if you like the last tool record, if you like the last perfect circle record, you will like this record. It's very much the kind of themes he was talking about on the last perfect circle record of social disconnection and kind of what is happening to us as people. And there's a lot of kind of space on it, like between his vocals. And before they started making the record, um, Matt, their guitarist, got an old synthesizer and there's lots of kind of um, retro futury sort of sounds where it can sound quite cold and robotic. Or there are times when it actually sounds kind of warm, it's used in a slightly different way. And it's just sort of something to sit down and digest and even though it's done before 2020 and done before the pandemic it's one of those records we've had a few of this year where it actually kind of fits the mood quite well so something to sort of sit back with rather mr bungle which is you know we can't do anything right now but if you want to jump around your house and just be mad then that's that record if you want to sit back and digest things that's the puss for record sing back at your computer like l does yeah, I don't know why I said that really, because probably if you listen to music, you're probably not saying your computer the whole time, but I was listening to it on my computer. There's a song on that album called Faker Front, which is the second to last song. Oh, yeah. Fucking amazing. It's just like, oh, Maynard doesn't like smartphones, the album part three. But, <laughs> but you know. It is. Uh, well Faker Front as well. I just said it was kind of restrained and stripped back and something to digest. That is the one song where he loses his shit and he yeah. calls someone like a sanctimonious little shit on it. And you're just like, oh, where did that come from? You were quite grown up before and sort of being very sophisticated and all of a sudden someone's a sanctimonious little shit. And it just goes, shut the fuck up, like over and over again. Yeah. There Good. you go. Lots of swearing out this Friday, basically. Lots of swearing. Uh, so, yeah, that's a Pussifer album that's out. Uh, the Mr. Bungle album's out. Emery Thrundle and Thou's out. As you mentioned, the Zealanado EP came out last week, but we didn't get um, advanced streams for that, so we've only just listened to it. And it is so good, so, so, so good. And Survival Horror by Bring Me the Horizon, all out this Friday. Um, God, thank fuck for music. It's definitely getting us to I love the Zealand record and I've been looking at this week or last week to get a new record player and the Zealand record, record was the first record I played. But I think my sticker's on the wrong way around because side A, side B and side B is side A. So I'm really curious to know if anyone's had the same with their record. Ooh, or is it subversive, Al, and you just didn't get it? Or maybe. Maybe I'm just too stupid. I doubt it. Uh, let's take some questions, shall we? Um, so many good questions this week, as always. Let's start with one from Noel Rattigan. Uh, facebook.com slash metalhammer readers by the way if you're not on there yet and if not why not come hang out uh, Noel Rattigan asks with you guys having submitted year end reviews already uh, that's correct we have 
Uh, how pissed will you be if Maiden, Metallica, or Avenged Sevenfold, etc., drop a surprise album in a few weeks? I can totally see Metallica trying something like that this year. I mean, Avenged did do that to us in 2016, and it was, a, I can tell you right now, it was a royal pain in the ass for everyone concerned. <laughs> I can't see it happening though this year. Can you? Surely not. No, I feel like I would have heard something if it was going to happen. And I think it's hard to get annoyed. I know you guys like lists more than me. I'm not really like a massive like list lover. I If we got something new from somebody, I'd just be excited that we got new stuff. So, yeah. Happy to be here. The cutoffs happens. Don't care. If bloody, I mean, to be fair, if Avenged Sevenfold or I made and released an album, I don't think it's going to get in my top 20 anyway. But, um, but, I mean, I don't think death, I don't think Hardwired. See, Hardwired came out and it was too late to be in our or my list anyway. I don't know about anyone else's, but I heard I'm very much of the thing of like if you release it and the thing's got to be in, we've already done it and tough titty. And I don't just want to put something in just because it's a big bad, just because it's Metallica. I'm not putting it in there just on the strength of the name alone. So I don't give a fuck. I mean, none of those three bands need us to put them in their end of year list at all, do they? It's not really benefiting anyone at all. So if I'm knocking out like Haggard Cat or Foxjaw or some little band who they they will they maybe might benefit from being in the um end of year list. I don't think Metallica will, so don't care. Don't care. There you go. Hear that Avenged, you're not getting the Stephen Hill rub. So <laughs> City of Evil would get if they release City of Evil tomorrow, I would probably be like, ah, that probably did deserve to get in my top track. We did. I did manage to hear certainly Metallica, and um, because we were working on it, I did manage to get Avenged and Metallica into my list that year, but only just. Uh, but yeah, surprise albums, you bastards! Stop doing it. Um, now, actually, keep doing it because I like music too. Um, someone else do the next question. L, you do it. Ah, uh, okay. Joe Fleischer asks for Halloween. In terms of looks alone, what band has the best masks or makeup? I'd nominate Ghost since it was such a ridiculous breath of fresh air when they started 10 years ago. I was going to say it's Halloween week and happy Halloween to everyone. <gasps> ah, happy awesome. Halloween, everybody. Thanks. The strangest Halloween ever. Do you want to see the pumpkin I carved? Yes, yes actually. Well, I'm going to get it. It's just that I'll get it. Oh, a little I treat for our, for our listeners. <laughs> He's going to describe it. Look how shit it is. It's, it's, it's so shit. It looks a bit like you. Put your face it's next to it. Put your face next to it. No, I'm not putting my face next to it. No, absolutely not. Just so you can say I look like shit pumpkin. Steve, gone. Well, I was going to say, Steve just held off a pumpkin to the camera that looks like he's just punched it and left it. <laughs> yeah, rubbish. I'm not very arty. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Criting, criticizing someone else's music when it comes to your pumpkin, you can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> no that's true yeah um in terms of uh halloween looks i get like well what band has the best master makeup i mean i, I think slipknot. who slipknot i didn't even fucking think of slipknot what an idiot what? <laughs> <laughs> the most obvious one so obvious i can't believe ellen has said it literally <laughs> the most bemasked band ever <laughs> What an idiot! For me, <laughs> oh. I, I thought of in, I thought of uh, mushroom heads, but I didn't think of Slipknot. Weird. <laughs> um, no, I actually put down Immortal because just the most iconic corpse paint in metal. There's no competition. 
Um, I put down Imperial Triumphant for something a bit new and cool. And about three people on the street would know who you were, but you'd know who you were. That's what counts. Yeah. And obviously Kiss, of course. You can never not have enough Kiss. You can never not have enough Kiss. You can never Wait. have enough Kiss. Hang on. You can never have to... You can... What? I fucked it. You always have too much Kiss. <laughs> um, misfits for me. Yes. Misfits, the iconic look in it. Which one would you be? Oh, definitely not Michael Graves. No, Doyle. I mean, fucking hell. You want it? Doyle's a big lad and he's well muscly and he's a vegan. Um, yeah, probably Doyle. Excellent choices, one and all. Would you like to take the next question, Steve? Would I ever? Um, Daniel Plites, is that how you say it, you reckon? I would have gone with Plites. He's okay. asked some questions before, so sorry, Daniel, if we mangle your name. Please tell um, us on the Facebook group. Yes. In the divided world we live in, should bands or band members stay away from taking a political side publicly? And should rock metal sites share in their social media? Uh, and, and should rock stroke metal sites share in their social media the political opinions of artists? I think that was the reading what was said there but so anyway basically should bands and us uh neuter our our political opinions for these well i don't think times? i don't think daniel's saying should media like should we neuter our political opinions he's saying he's saying should bands neuter them and should if they decide to share their political opinions should places like metal hammer kind of broadcast those so it's kind of two slightly different points. I mean, for me, like music is political, art is political. So it's a moot point. Like this whole this whole idea of um, artists should artists and musicians should not bring politics into things is ridiculous because art is art has always been political. You know, Black Sabbath famously talked about war, like <laughs> in their very earliest songs. Um, war Pigs is a political song. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's always been there. Admittedly, I don't know, like Ale Storm are not political and that's fine, but there's plenty of bands that are. And, you know, if you look at someone like Rob Flynn from Machine Head, Machine Head have been writing politicised lyrics since the very first album. So the idea that Rob Flynn should write those lyrics but never talk about them just doesn't make any sense. It literally doesn't make sense. Obviously, in me saying that... Um, it's one thing for me to say like everyone should be able to share political opinions when I know that that means all the great bands that stand up for kind of important uh, social issues and human rights like Architects and Gajira and environmental issues and all the rest of it. If I kind of say those bands should be allowed to broadcast their political opinions, obviously that means that bands who I disagree with have to be able to broadcast theirs as well. Um, obviously you probably want to draw a line when people are broadcasting things that support oppression of people and kind of out and out racism and all that kind of stuff um but you know we've talked about bands like five finger death punch on it before we talked about them last week in fact i know for a fact that zoltan Bathory has different political views than mine i don't necessarily think that he shouldn't be allowed to broadcast them but um if any band says something that is considered newsworthy or interesting we're gonna we're gonna cover it whether that means challenging them on their views or uh you know whatever like so 
yes and yes or wait no and no whichever way around it is <laughs> yes no and no wait no fans should not stay away from taking political stances publicly and yes rock and metal shites should be able to kind of engage with that because that's our jobs what do you guys think yeah, same really. I mean, everything's political. We're in the middle of a pandemic. That's political. People are, some people are kicking off with the footballer Marcus Rashford campaigning for kids to have free meals. Idiots are kicking off. And it's like, if there was someone in music doing that, I'd fully back them because everything's political. We're talking about feeding children here. It's like, yeah, he might be a footballer, but he's you know, he's a person with a high profile that can use it to affect change, or at least try to use it to affect change and bring to people's attention that the government aren't feeding the most vulnerable people in our society. So everything's political. You can't I mean, the, the, thing, the thing about um, the thing about footballers annoys me. Not to go on a total tangent, but annoys me even more sometimes than the things about rock music um, musicians being political because. When people kind of say to athletes, like you see this in the NBA a lot as well, with people like LeBron James, reporters just saying, I'll just shut up and play basketball. It's like, well, very often these are like working class kids that have come from strife and come from struggle that have worked really hard, really hard at something they're good at, become a massive success. And often they also then pay back into their communities and do do a lot for charity and stuff. So the idea that they should kind of shut all that down because... It upsets people who might be uncomfortable about confronting their own views or whatever. is ridiculous. Um, it, it's, it's weird what jobs you are and aren't allowed to have a political opinion on, isn't it? It's funny when you see people who are going, footballers and uh, musicians and actors shouldn't have political opinions, unlike me, a bricklayer. You're like, well, why, yeah. <laughs> why, do, you, why do you get a fucking political opinion? I mean, I think I want to pick up on something Daniel said in this the start of this question, which is, in this divided world we live in. Well, it's a divided world if you choose to divide yourself from something. Um, absolutely not. I would never tell any musician what they should or shouldn't write about. But, and I'm allowed to completely disagree with or agree with the sentiment that they are putting out. I think particularly speaking to someone who, like as a music journalist, as somebody who is supposed to write about and consider the work and the music that these people put together if you can't start a review or if you can't start thinking about a band from a place of neutrality you're not doing your job properly and i think whatever somebody's opinion is and whatever they choose to write their music about it's our job to, to look at it first and from not from our kind of start with our own opinion of it and then go well how is this going to affect me or like what do i think you've got to start and go okay let me hear this person out there are plenty of people who i don't agree with or i don't like the opinions of in music um but i still like their music and i still mm -hmm. like listening to their music i think you've got to be like personally i think you're a bit of a baby if you can't handle hearing somebody disagreeing with you politically and if that puts you off of you know watching a football team or watching a film or listening to a piece of music i mean i think you've got you, you, you've led a very sheltered life is what mm. I, say. I saw a guy again to go back into football gary lineker tweeted something about 50 years of matter of the day and i saw a guy reply to him going oh it used to be good until you like virtue signaling blah 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 at gary lineker 
And I went, yeah, I mean, how could you enjoy the highlights of Leicester versus West Bromwich Albion if you knew <laughs> that a man who didn't vote the same way as you was going to come on afterwards and talk about the game for five minutes? You just couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't could you? And it's that, it's like, just accept that people think differently to you and, you know, enjoy or don't enjoy it. Enjoy that art completely at its own merit. That's mm. what I think, or at least attempt to understand where that artist is coming from. I've spoken to John from System of a Down, and he's got some pretty fruity opinions about things. But it's not my, it wasn't my job to judge John from System of a Down. It was my job to try and understand where he was coming from. And that's what I tried to do. I, he said some pretty wacky things to me, to be honest, which we don't need to go into here. I think people know what we're talking about. But I don't necessarily think that that means he shouldn't be allowed to play the drums or I don't want to hear him play the drums. That's a fucking bizarre jump. Mm. Absolutely bizarre. Um, I think there's there's levels to it as well, isn't there? Because, you know, something like Phil Anselmo getting on stage and shouting white power is not the same thing as someone having a slightly different view on taxation to me or something. Um, you know, I've, anyone who knows me knows, knows I've got very, very strong opinions and I'm not ashamed about, you know, being you know, quite far down the left wing of politics and stuff. And I'm, and I'm cool with that. And I think you can, you know, if you look at someone like Nurgle, who we've had in the, in Metal Hammer, the last feature we did with Nurgle was Dave Everly really challenging him on some of the spurious and weird and in some cases ridiculous things he said over the years. Um, you know, we can do that. Uh, I think if you've got someone, again, not to always pick out the same people, if you've got someone like Sam Carter from Architects, who is just unquestionably a force for progress and the good of society and just believes in basic things like equality, like, to me, that almost goes beyond politics. Do you know what I mean? Like, saying something like, as El said, everything is political because unfortunately it becomes politicised. But, um, but, um, you know, Marcus Rashford feeding hungry, wanting to feed hungry kids should go above politics. That shouldn't be a political issue. That should be like, yeah, kids shouldn't be in poverty. That should be like a baseline thing. That shouldn't be like, well, I don't know. I slightly disagree with you. Like, it's kind of like, how is anybody standing up and saying something like that? A, a problem for anybody? I don't get it. Um, but again, there are levels to this. You know, I probably wouldn't engage with someone if they just wanted to just like shout hardcore extreme right-wing murderous bullshit at me that's probably something i wouldn't engage with but stuff that's kind of you know neither here or there can maybe open up a conversation then you know i think it's important to do that there's no point pretending that politics don't exist in music because they do and that's never going to change so as steve said you can either engage with it you can challenge it or you can ignore it and just not listen to any bands who don't agree with you and that's totally your choice and that's fine i think the, the last thing i was saying that as well is this idea of putting bands on a pedestal um people say oh you shouldn't cover that person because you put them on a pedestal because it's like well i think like take someone like nurgle for example who has written a lot of dumb shit on his instagram with some weird <laughs> shit on his instagram page i think if you did that and you worked in tesco i don't think you'd get sacked um and so I think putting him in the in a magazine or talking to him or listening to his music, you know, the, the people putting him on a pedestal are the people that are going, no, 
you know you don't have the right to like this person has has wronged me this person has let me down you know you the people kind of hashtag cancelling them i think are the people who are putting those people on pedestals if you just go oh that guy seems like a bit of a a dickhead whatever i'll still listen to his music because i quite like it to end like that's what you do when you get served the fucking big man you know if if you're a a labor voter you've probably been served a a whopper by a tory voter you don't throw the whopper in the bin and go i won't eat that now because it's been touched by someone who votes differently to me it's a weird weird fucking really really weird world and i think people should be should try and find some degree of commonality and that's the main thing that i find a bit yeah disturbing. i'd say maybe uh the person serving the whopper if that person had an instagram account of ten thousand people that then went out and said which i'm not saying is anything anyone's said specifically but then went out and said like kill all you know whatever demographic they probably would get fired <laughs> but i i'd see what you mean that's not what no. I'm not very, I'm not massively articulate. Well, <laughs> when it comes to this, I can't quite articulate it, but I was watching a documentary on um, Netflix and it was about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and it was about all kind of like um, how she was, um, she came to be in the Supreme Court and all about sort of the relationships we ha- she had with people. And one of her best friends was somebody who had completely different views and she spoke about how you kind of have to get along with people in order to kind of make the decisions um and what she said was quite interesting so if you are interested in that give it a watch it's good there you go um that's end of the political section of our uh, <laughs> of this week's podcast uh scott's example says what's the best halloween candy wow we've gone right back down to basics here uh how- Nothing american well, I kind of feel like America, like for me, it's candy corn all day long. Candy corn's disgusting. No, it's amazing. You're thinking mm-hmm. of those jelly things that look like little teeth. Yeah, they're not really jelly. They're more like kind of, um, I don't know how to describe the texture. They're not like kind of jelly Haribo things, but they're amazing. I love them so much. I can uh, just eat them by the handful. They're like plastic. Yeah, and- they're tasty plastic. Uh. Like that. What's the difference between Halloween candy and just sweets that you get all the time? Like, a Kit, can I can I pick a Kit Kat as the best? You can. Has it got a, has it got a pumpkin on it? Oh, um, I think it's different though. American and UK. In the UK, it's just kind of normal sweets. Although in recent years, you can get spooky sweets. Whereas in America, they specifically have sweets that you kind of associate with Halloween, like candy corn, which is disgusting. Get like a skull, a white chocolate skull, and it add jam in the middle or some sort of like red paste like a bleeding skull when you get into it i don't know what they're called i think they were cadbury's uh, i'm only really good with the music questions to be honest so i'm gonna put that and sit back <laughs> well let's move on to a music question then you 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 take it steve seeing you're so desperate to talk about music matt Hink, if someone asked you why you love the music you do what song would you play to them to show them why oh that is a good question Oh, but I haven't even talked about candy yet. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Go do candy and then pick a song to prove your music taste. 
candy i think uk candy it's good to have like miniatures like miniature mars bars miniature milky ways things like that that's quite a solid candy haul and mm. i do like the newer candy anything that's got like a skull or a bat or a ghost or something like that it's good um i hate this question because it's really hard because we've had the question like what would you play to someone to tell them what metal is and i think like metallica is just a really straightforward answer for that but what if it's about like you i think i'd we were talking about Deftones a few weeks back and we had to pick our favourite Deftones songs. So maybe I'd pick something from Deftones, like Passenger, like I picked for that question because it's heavy and it's emotional. And I think the music that I really like has those two things. It's heavy, but I mean, I like heavy music that's just heavy music for the sake of it. But if I was really going to pick something that I loved, it probably has that strong, heavy, emotional component as well. And Deftones do both those things really well. So maybe that. Nice. That sounds very L. If I was presented that, I'd know where it came from, I think. Um, I was a loser and, and broke it down genre by genre. So um, if I was kind of... Uh, if, if I, I've kind of cheated a bit because some some people consider Guns N' Roses a little bit part of heavy metal culture, but I've, I've picked them as just a, like a straight-up rock band. So if someone was like, oh, what's rock music? Show me what good rock music is. I'd pick Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Um, it's just got all that kind of groove and excitement and like like adrenaline and just everything that great rock music should have uh, for metal just proper fucking heavy metal uh, I'd pick Creeping Death um, by Metallica obviously just the ultimate metal song just perfect um, for like I love dance music and electronic music as well and normally I'll say The Prodigy but I kind of think that they probably don't really represent what most of dance music is all about so I'd probably pick something like Dead Mouse or Faithless or something like that. Um, and then I picked Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson for a pop song and B.O.B. by Outkast for a hip-hop track. And that would be a good representation of... I think if someone saw all that, they'd probably know that was a bit of me. <laughs> I would know that you'd picked all of those songs. Oh, fuck. This is a really hard question. It's think... horrible, isn't it? It's a horrible question. <laughs> We're told one song. And Merlin's just gone. Uh, I would pick some Dead Mouse to show that I like dance music. Which oh, I'm sorry. I, I would pick Strobe by Dead Mouse. That's right. Um, now, gonna you still pick like seven songs, um, and that makes it really, really difficult. One song. Don't know. Maybe. Um, oh God. Uh, maybe the, the the title track of Dose Your Dreams" by Fucked Up which came out in 2018 because I think that's probably a really good that album is probably the best album of the decade I think it's a, like a kind of punk rock shoegaze opera which is sort of part electronic ethereal pop music but done by a hardcore band some of it sounds like Primal Scream some of it sounds like dub some of it sounds like Black Flag some of it sounds like the Pet Shop Boys some of it sounds like the Rocky Horror Picture Show it's just a fucking mad, mad, mad record. And I really love that. It's probably the record that's got the most, like, gap in between. Or like, the, it goes to the furthest places away from itself. So probably that, because I like lots of different... Because I could go into, like, oh, I'll pick Depeche Mode and Napalm Death, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's a really good choice okay well I'll, I'll condense mine then um i don't have anything that kind of features as many of my tastes and liking one track like steve did but 
if I was going to try and condense one, then I'll go back on what I said. If I could only pick one song to represent as much as I could think of in music, it would be The Prodigy. Probably a song like No Good or something like that, where you've got the hooks. Like most of my music taste is centered around hooks more than anything else. It's even got a little sing along in it. But when it really hits and it goes heavy, it's got that exciting, heavy, urgent, adrenaline pump inside of their game as well. Which I want to do out really badly. I know, me too. Me and I were talking about that earlier. We just desperate to go out and just have a little party, but it's not going to happen soon, is it? Never mind. I'll tell you what we'll be just like feeling going out. This next question, Elle, which I think you should take from Adam Beale. It's from Adam Beale. He asks, who has had more of an influence on metal, Priest or Maiden? I think Priest set the foundation of what would be thrash on stained glass and British steel, and their look is now synonymous with metal. I don't think Maiden have done anything that still sounds as relevant as Painkiller either. He's got a very clear opinion. It's got an agenda here. And I think, I think it's a good answer. Sorry, go on, Steve. It's a bloody good answer to his own question, admittedly, but it is a bloody good answer. I'll back that. I, yeah, I'd probably have to agree with that. I mean, I, I, you know, Maiden are my favourite bands. I think they're the greatest heavy metal band of all time. But I think in terms of the kind of um, evolution, the kind of variety that there, that Priest's sound took over the kind of late 70s to early 90s. Like, I think, yeah, I agree. I think Adam's made a really good point. I think so kind of influencing the fundamentals of heavy metal music as we know it, I think you probably would go with Priest. I think um, Priest crosses over into more people's personality types as well, whereas I think Maiden, it's like a narrower field. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good point. I feel like Priest did more to influence metal, but Maiden did more to perfect it. Yeah. That's just a Merlin answer. That's my honest opinion. <laughs> uh, I think Maiden are more, um, are obviously probably did do more to influence it really, because I think they probably influenced a hell of a lot more people. But I think when you define what heavy metal is to... To, to if you were to hit the like if you think of metal as a dartboard, Judas Priest are the bullseye, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Maiden are kind of like the. the I don't know what the terminology is. The thirteen, the number thirteen. I don't know. It would be the nose on your pumpkin. <laughs> your pumpkin. Are you saying they're not? Are you saying Iron Maiden are not a metal band because? There's no nose on the dartboard of pumpkin nose on the dartboard of metal. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happened. I think we've gone long enough here. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a lovely Halloween, however you may be celebrating it. I hope you're celebrating it safely. Um, and you've never had a better excuse to wear a mask, so wear a fucking mask. Uh, and we will see you in some form or another next week. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.